Listener Production. Welcome back, legends. You are listening to episode 152 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring the star that is Nick Revolt. On we roll. I'm really enjoying this. I think some, in some ways this podcast has become a little bit structured and I have um, too many notes, so it's great to just be able to... And I think that's a, rogue. a... Well, I think it's a result of doing it over Zoom because you can't yep. establish this connection where you're back in the room here, which is yep. the way it originally started. Yep. You talked before about the love of being able to just run and run and knowing the bloke on your cart. That's what you're known for in many ways, apart from your amazing football talent, was your endurance... What were you like at the start and how do you go as an athlete to train yourself to push beyond what's typically achievable in a physical sense? Because that, that's, Nick, that's what you did time mm. and time and time again. Yeah. Um, it's good. Like, it's a good question. I, I think I think when you walk through the door, you don't really, you don't really know. Well, I didn't know what proper training look like. So w- one bit of advice that I got from my dad before I went down to St Kilda was go and find go and find a role model real quick. So just look at look at who you think trains the hardest and um and just follow them around and be a sponge. So I was really like I'd like Robert Harvey and Stewie Lowe and all these guys, but they were you know 30 year old guys. So Aaron Hamill was 24 and so I looked at the way he trained and he knew how to train. Like he knew what it meant to really get the most out of yourself. So I just became a sponge and followed him. I drove him crazy. I drove him absolutely crazy. And so he was huge for me early, just in terms of doing the extras, understanding that you always had a bit more than you thought you did. I think that's, that's probably once, once you figure that out, that, that can become, that can become a real asset. And for me, that, that, that's what it was. Like I thought I, I thought I was a pretty good runner and I thought I could push myself, but it was, it was becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. That that's 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 I think what what I became really good at. And where was, where, where do you was take- I could was I could just get in a, I could I almost it almost became a bit of a badge of honour that this is what I want to be this is what I want to be known as. And so I would, I, I started getting in, into like affirmation writing down affirmations and from probably my my second year when I started doing it, the one thing I kept writing down and just write it, I would write it down a hundred times a week was, and I don't like to talk in the third person, but I would, that's how you have to do affirmations. I would just write, Nick Rewrite is the hardest working forward in the game. And I would write it again and I'd write it again and again and again. Just <laughs> repeat, 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 repeat. And so what were the actions that would underpin that? And so in, in my mind, when I would be writing it, I would, I would think it like it's, you know, the, I'd sort of shut my eyes and the, the ball's bounced. Okay, it goes the other way. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to sprint up the other end of the ground for the for the first two minutes or first minute of the game. I'm just going to run a 400. So straight away, my opponent knows. Holy moly, I'm in for a long day today. So it was just it was just repetition, 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 and almost became self fulfilling in a way because I'd I'd spent so much time Monday to Friday or across the summer or before training thinking about the actions that I wanted to do when I was either training or playing that they just, they just happened. Um, <clears throat> so for, for me, that's sort of where it started. And in the, in the end, it just became something that I took such pride in was, was the ability that the ability to, to go where I felt like others were going to be really uncomfortable 
and keep them there. That's 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 how I play the game. And how do like where do you take yourself mentally? At what stage of a game when you I don't know what would you run 15, 16, 17 yeah, kilometers? At what stage of the game? I'm sure it's stages, but at what stage of the game is that? I'm actually cooked now, and then where do you take yourself to finish the game the mm. way you started it? Yeah, it was. It, it probably was the opposite of that. I felt better as the game wore on. Wow. So <clears throat> I always felt like at half time, if I wasn't having a massive impact, that it didn't matter, that it would eventually turn for me because no one's prepared like I've prepared, no one's trained like I've trained, and I'm going to take them to deep water and eventually they're going to drown. That's sort of how I, that's how I approached it. So, uh, wow. so I, 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 yeah, like I was, I would, like everyone got to points where I was fatigued, but I always felt like I could flip that and think, well, if I'm feeling like this, he's, how's he feeling? So let's go again. And did you ever play, and this is not a time for modesty now, did you ever play against anyone that you thought had the ability to take you into deep water? Um, probably. Not really, because I think as a forward, you dictate. Yeah, so, okay. so, so when you need a spell, you so stand when, still. So when you need a spell, you stand still or you get deep. or <clears throat> So that's, that's the advantage of being a forward in that situation. I mean, being, a, def- has to being a defender in that oh, situation yeah. must be a horrible feeling, and I sort of preyed on that. Because you don't know how much petrol you got left in the well, tank, Well, that's it. You? You're, you're sitting there and you're hoping, oh, I hope he doesn't go again. Yeah. And so in my mind, that was, the, that was the dance that we were sort of having um, without having the conversation. Huh. You know, occasionally you'd say, you want, you ready? You ready? We're going again. And you know, that was, so that was sort of, cause I, cause I, like I didn't have, like I had some, I felt like I had natural footballing ability, but for me it was the, it was just the, the hunger to get the ball and the ability to get it through the work rate. That was, that was my asset as a player. And the work rate, I used to sit on the boundary and I've said this to you at Triple M on the wireless. And you'd have to get there before because you'd have to do an interview with someone, you know, an hour and a half before the game. And there'd be you out in the middle. It strikes me at Marvel because you played so many games there, sprinting up and down the centre square before anyone was <laughs> ever just... out on the ground. Yeah. And I remember saying a few times on radio, oh, yeah, Nick Rewalt's doing his usual thing. I'd love to know how far he's running before the game. No one else was even here. And you were sprinting your guts out. Well, and and, and to, to me, it was like, why the hell is he doing this? Yeah. It became, it, that became a monster. Did it? It did. It just in my own head. It did, and oh, I know. Like I, you used, like, to, used to go. Flat yeah, I knacker. used to go. So I used to go silly before the game. Yeah, and, and I know you. No one was you, on the ground. I know you boys up in the Triple M box doing your pre-game would have been sitting. Have a look at this loser and Spud. Oh, I could hear Spud hanging out of the window sometimes, yeah, like well, actually calling me. Well, that was uh, that was Spud, Gary, James. Yeah, all you know, the, that, that was the, the big boys. All the the the, uh, the Triple M boys. Um, it it was it started because I couldn't train a lot during the week. So I had the issues with the knee and quite often had to get it drained. So Monday to Friday was Monday to Friday was really just recovery. And so I felt like I needed to get there and get just moving and get a bit of nervous energy out because I've, I've told you about sort of game day and yes. the space I would get in. Yep. So I used to get there early, get get moving and felt like that's what I needed to do to get myself in, in the frame of mind to play. And it just evolved and evolved and evolved. And in the end, it just became almost like a, <clears throat> just it, its own bloody monster. It was, it was, it was crazy stuff. And there was a, there was a little bit of gamesmanship in it as well. Like I did like opponents coming out and seeing that. 
I felt like there was, you know, perhaps a little bit of an edge to be gained in oh, no doubt in looking been. like you were there and you were ready to go. And but did like Ross uh, Ross Lyon, for those that are not familiar, coach Nick for a long time. Grant Thomas, obviously, yeah. did a coach ever pull you aside and say, the, "Mate, the phys did." Did they? Yeah, they, oh, they, they, the phys did. did. They, they, and what they, did they say? Well, I just keep like keep a, just keep a little bit of a lid on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and did you? So yeah, yeah. No, it was always sort of within the within the. They maybe wore a GPS a, a couple of times just to work out exactly because like they measure everything. So what within, were you doing before the game? Probably three, probably three cars. At intensity though. Yeah, this, was, this is not just a little jog. Like you used to kick the ball up in the air <laughs> yeah. and then chase it well, and was, grab I, it. I can like still. You had twenty eight possessions yeah. before the first quarter even started. I used to start on the point of the square and and jog the lap of the square and I. <laughs> I have to bounce left hand right. Like, this is just crazy. Like, I think back now and think, you Yeah, but just... again, if you hadn't done it, yeah. are we reading those numbers at the start? Yeah, mate? I know. I know. It's, um, and then I, I look now at the way, like, guys go out and have a chat, kick a soccer ball around. It's just, I was so far from that. Yeah. And I wish I could have been the other way, but I wasn't. So you've, you've established your level of, I think it's gone beyond competitiveness. We've established a level of, Fanaticism, I think, yep. is almost a fair word yep. at this point. I think that's fair. What happens when it goes against you? You know, famously, you played in a drawn grand final and you weren't able to get up the next week. Prior to that, you played in another grand final. Yeah. How does it sit with you? Like, we go to work now with old five day, five night, don't burn. Mm. And then Geordie Lewis wants in with his four medallions around his mm-hmm. neck. And we're working the moment with Jonathan Brown. Mm-hmm. He's got his three medals around his neck. Your buddy cousin, mm-hmm. the lunatic, who, who we've described, he's got his three medals around his neck. Are you at peace with it? Like, you have to be in the right place at the right time. You were an amazing yeah. footballer and an amazing athlete, as was another bloke we work with now, Nathan Buckley. Mm-hmm. Equally amazing, but doesn't have those medallions yeah. around his neck. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. How does it sit? Am I at peace with it? Yeah. Probably all bar two weeks a year. So grand final week still like, it's still great grand final week, particularly when in the position that we're in where we're commentating and talking about it, you almost feel or, and I don't know if this is a, I'm making this up, but you almost feel like you can't be an authority on what it's like to play in finals because, or grand finals because you didn't win one. And that just might be my own um, insecurity or it might actually be how people think. I'm sure some people are happy to sit there and go, oh, what would he, what would, what would he bloody know? They, they didn't win one. I think within it's the- like, yeah, but yeah, but for the sake of a- Bounce of a ball, yeah. we do. So yes. is that the difference between me being able to to comment on one and talk about one and feel comfortable? I think there in, should. I think there should be. I shouldn't be giving my opinion. I should, but, but you should. I, 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 I don't think there should be any difference. But I see. But there is. But I see the way, not in an arrogant way. I just see the way Geordie is mm. or Brownie yeah. is. So, I, I see. I, I see the way that or Dermot is or Jason Dunstall is and. and Jason to a lesser extent. Jason's he's pretty amazing like that. But footy's footy's the reason we love footy and the reason that sport is the best live drama is yeah. because footy we we're talking in absolutes. You either did 
or you didn't. Yeah. And there's really nothing in between. You're either a have or you're a have not. Yeah. And I'm on the wrong side of it, clearly. I think the reason I'm- You can't a- say you're a have not, though. You, like it's, it's not that uh, brutally black and white. Uh, well, it might be for you. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. When it comes to grand final week and premierships, it is. Okay. Because you can only, you can only imagine what it would be like. And I feel like, and I've had this conversation with, but I feel like I've almost built it up so much in my head now what it would be like that it could potentially never even live up. But yep. then you, you articulate that to someone that has, and they said, oh, no, it, it lives up. What did Jack say? Yeah, he said, it was, he said it was great, but then he said a couple of weeks later when I spoke to him, it's, it's sort of a little bit like, well, that's great and that's forever, but it's footy's so... Uh, you know, looking forward, yeah. It's, look it's, it's it's so constant that it's now what. So that, that that that's okay. I'm at peace with the fact that no one through those periods nine and ten, and even four and five, when we were pre- pretty good, like we could have pinched one. Um, there wasn't really anyone you could point the finger at and say, eh, "Could you have? Could you have done this? Could you have done that?" I know from a personal point of view. Apart from some execution, which is not effort related, no. there, was, there wasn't really much anyone else could have done. We just didn't execute. And what about in the moment? Like, what about in the moment with the bounce of the ball with Stevie Mill? Got out the target. O'Brien. Here we go. Wow. Hayes. Hayes belting the ball forward. Johnson quickly off the mark. Milner at best. Ball bouncing. Oh, oh. Scores a level. Oh, 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 no. What are you doing next week? Yeah, how, how did you, you, you know, we talked about your own personal performance. How did you deal with being beaten in grand finals? Like, is that a, is that a two-day thing? Is that a two-month thing? Is oh, it a two-year uh, thing? Oh, 09 was brutal. Yep. Oh, 09 was brutal because we dominated the first half of that game. Oh, oh, 09 really felt like. I guess you kicked straight, you win the grand final. Yeah, we, quick, yeah, we, we kicked straight early. We win the grand final, I think, 37 inside 50s or 14 or something, how, <laughs> from memory. <laughs> but <laughs> Not that you're hanging on to Yeah, it. not that we're hanging on to it. Tom Hawkins hit the post. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Geelong were a great team. We were a great, we were a great team. It was, it was a brutal game of footy. I actually saw, this has always stuck out in my mind, I, I saw the, and, and it came back to me this year when we were talking about Melbourne and the Bulldogs in the aftermath and the song and the nightclub incident and all mm. that sort of stuff and the animosity between the groups. And it brought back to me a moment, a couple of nights after the 09 grand final when I was at a, I was walking into a nightclub, I think I was with my brother, going to meet some of the boys. And a few of the Geelong boys were walking out and we had a moment. I thought, oh, you must be kidding me as, as I was approaching them. And we actually had a moment where we all gave each other a handshake and a hug and spoke about what a brutal game of footy it was and sort of the acknowledgement that, mm. wow, that, that was just the most brutal game of footy any of us have ever been a part of. It could have gone either way. So much respect for you blokes. And it was it's always st- stuck in my mind. And so when I see people and they say, oh, you must hate Geelong because of nah. It's the exact opposite. Got a lot of respect for them. Um, great, great team, great sports. Some of the guys that I know, you know, Harry Taylor, I've got a great relationship with when I see him and we played on each other. So, you know, you win some, you lose some, Howie. We, we, we got as close 
really to any group, I think, in the history of the game, you yeah. know, a goal and then a draw yeah. in consecutive years without without getting it done. It hurts. What I would really love is when you see what Melbourne have done to Melbourne for done to and for Melbourne people. Yes. That's what I would love to have lived through for St Kilda people. Similar story, drought, success starved, passionate supporter base. So to be able to share that with Saints people and share it with my family uh, is, and my teammates obviously, and those in, in the inner sanctum, that's what I would love to have experienced. Because when you walk through the door and you've got one or two or three next to your name, it's all, you know, that, that's all great. But it's more the experience and the feeling that I that I wish I could have. Because ultimately, that's all we take with us. Really, is memories and experiences. It's it's I don't know. It's a pretty complex answer. I think you answered it really well. Let's talk about um. Let's talk about love before we talk about grief, <laughs> yeah, which okay. I don't imagine will be that easy. But it's it's a massive part of your story. Let's talk about meeting a girl from Texas yeah. and having a family. I yeah, I always enjoy. A love story. Um, I've only seen you two together a little bit, and obviously you you've got that two peas in a pod mentality about you. I noticed the other day at your place that you started a sentence and your wife finished the sentence, which <laughs> that is, happened, yeah, it? which is always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Or maybe she started the sentence and you cut her off and finished the sentence. I'm not sure, yeah, but it was. Where, where did you meet a girl from Texas? Uh, there are two versions to the story, Howie. Right. One version is we met uh, in Nevada. And the other version is that we met in Las Vegas. <laughs> I think I know which one's the, the real one. So I reckon Kath pushes the Nevada one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you're a bit more pragmatic and it was in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. So both factually correct, of course. Um, <laughs> sat next to each other by the pool, started talking, um, made up some lie about the scar on my shoulder being from a shark attack <laughs> <laughs> while I was swimming for cra- while, I was, while I was diving for craze. <laughs> <laughs> the crocodile the Tasmanian coast, Howie. <laughs> uh, and so really just like started a, started a friendship and evolved, evolved to the point that um, she moved out to Australia when she finished, finished college, got, had a job here and, and, and here we are. I, I'm, I, I love, you know, I, I'm, I love traveling and seeing parts of the world. I, yeah. I've, um, been up through Arizona, but I haven't ever been to Texas. But when I've seen your photos on Instagram, whether you've showed me and your young blokes in cowboy hats or you're at college football yeah. games and, um, you know, a lot of people have watched Friday Night Lights and I asked you about it and you said, that's what it is like. It is like w- that. What is life in Texas like when you go back there? Oh. And you're so fortunate to be able to go and experience another culture as part of your family and your boys. Yeah. Your boys. They, they got Orford and they got Texas. So we land, we last year we went over – at the in uh, at the end of the football season, so still sort of middle lockdown Melbourne, and we thought, you know what, let's get the boys over there. We'll put them in school. They've missed too much, so we we lobbed there. We do we do three and a half months in Texas. We land. We're here for two days, and we go down to Tassie. So they they um they they're very lucky. They're very fortunate boys, and I'm 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 very lucky as well. I mean, life over there it's oh, it's quite it's quite similar. In a in a way, in that the south, like the south's almost like its own country, the the, the south of um, the United States, very very conservative, but um, not in a not 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 in a negative sense. Like I love I love the old 
fashion values associated with that, with that. Like yep. there's a lot of, and this is what I love about it for my boys is there's, there's a lot of yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. Um, very connected communities socially. Um, when the boys, the boys went to school, they like the. Tell the good people about the lunch situation with the young. Oh, the, the, the bloody lunches. <laughs> Far out. So there's a learning curve for all of us, right? So we've, we've almost, we almost live a, we almost have a, our own language in ours because we, some things we use Australian terms, some things we use, so we've got strollers, we've got diapers, we've got pacifiers, <laughs> we've got all of that stuff. Uh, and then we've got budgies and, you know, we've got budgie smugglers. And we've got, we've got, so we've, we've got very much of a, a hybrid type thing happening. Um, so we got over there and, and the boys, and this was huge for them. So James, first day of school, new school. How old? Seven, uh, six at the time. Different accent, different, different accent. The, the one thing, the one COVID restriction that was there when we were there. So we landed, you know, went to Stradbroke restaurant. Next day we're at a baseball game with 50,000 people. Just no one really wow. cared. Wow. It, was, it was quite refreshing. Um, but that's, you know, that's, we won't get into that. Well, we can. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a miss. Um, and so... We couldn't go onto the into the classroom or any of that with James. So we packed his bag, got him dressed, no school uniform, which was oh, nice. Like nice, apart from it took thirty minutes for him to pick what he wanted to wear on his first day of school. Are they wearing cowboy boots and stuff? Or no, no, okay. very. Uh, I think very sort of, um, you know, high socks, long shorts. Oh, okay. Okay. Bigger shirts, cap. Right. I think that real sort of <laughs> American right. fanboy type. I like it. Yeah. Um, so he goes off and walks through the doors, didn't turn around, thought, that's brave. Good good on you, James. Like, that's that's very, very brave. So about a week in, he he's coming home with full lunchboxes. And we were a little bit concerned, like Kath and I, we were like, do you reckon he's too nervous or is he embarrassed? Are we packing the wrong stuff? Are we sending him with cheese and Vegemite? And the kids are, like, are looking at him weird. What's that horrible smelling stuff you're eating? So we say to him, James, why aren't you eating your lunch? Is everything okay? He said, yeah, yeah, I just, I haven't had time. I haven't had time. So I'm like, okay, well, try and eat your lunch because you need food to make your brain work so you can learn, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then a few days later, still full lunch. So we, okay, well, let's, let's have a chat with the teacher. And she goes, oh, no, no, he's... He's eating lunch every day. What are you talking about? She goes, oh, he's, well, he just goes to the cafeteria with all, all of the other kids. <laughs> Bloody cafeteria. What are you talking about? What do they eat? Oh, pizza, chocolate milk, <laughs> chicken tenders, chicken nuggets, whatever they want. Hey, sloppy gels. <laughs> so he's woofing into so that. He's woofing into that. Didn't want to tell us because he knew he was on a good thing and we'd probably try and put a stop to it. So he's completely played us. But completely he needed to empty us. his lunch. He That's didn't it. Empty he, his just, lunch he, he wasn't quite. He wasn't quite <laughs> smart enough on, on the on the sneaky level. But um, nah, it, it's incredible. Like Cass family got a, a ranch over there. Do you um, ride horses? Can you ride? No. Do you not? No. But do they all ride? Like I would yeah, imagine, yeah. like Kevin Costner in Yellowstone. Her old man's a dead ringer for John Dutton. Right. Um, <laughs> so we've, what, got, we've got a rip out on the ranch. No, we don't. Um, he no, nah, it's great. Yeah. So so it's it's. Stere- it's p- stereotypical, exactly <laughs> what you would think. Longhorn cattle. Wow. Boots. So I'll, I'll, my brother rips into me pretty solid because he reckons I've got a completely different wardrobe for when I land over there. And he's right because it's khakis and polo shirts 
you know, <laughs> off to the bloody country club or whatever, or it's big boots, Wranglers and, you know, button, button Miller down. shirts? Miller shirt. Oh, Miller I love shirt. it. I love Miller the Miller shirt. Exactly. Or just a white, or just a white t-shirt tucked into my jeans with. Have you got oh, a big belt buckle big going on? Big belt. Occasionally I'll put the bolo tie on. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's very it's, cool. But, I love it for your kids. Yeah. And the whole college sport thing is what has just it's grabbed me. Has it? Oh, I just love it. I, I'm, I was always sort of into the more of the European stuff. So EPL, yep. cricket, obviously. Um, but the American sports of the the NFL and, and the college sports, I'm I'm just obsessed by now. Um, once I actually understood it, I was not a big fan of American football, but once I got to sit with people that know it, understand it, have lived it, you know, a, a lot of cast mates sort of, been playing it since they were kids or following it since they were kids or cast, cast dad and brother. And, and it's, it's, it's just, I've just got such a passion for it now. And the, the college system, like when they first came out to Australia, I thought I'll take them down to Seaford, show them around as a professional sporting club organization, <laughs> walked in, here's a boot room. So we would keep all our footy boots. Here's a locker room. You know, it's pretty Pretty impressive sort of stuff. <laughs> I hadn't been to America yet. <laughs> okay. At the end of the year, they were very gracious. Oh, this oh, is a nice amazing, story. Nick. You know, great. <laughs> 45 minutes on the bloody freeway <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, stuck in a rain belt. <laughs> and like no cafe. Like, no, okay, where do you go get your lunch? Oh, the, the trucks used to come around with food. You know, they go to the work sites. That's how we got our lunch. Um, and so I go over there at the end of the year and I go check out the Baylor facility where Cass family all went, and it was embarrassing. Was it? Embarrassing that they'd walked around Seaford, <laughs> been so gracious and so complimentary, <laughs> and here I was walking into a bloody $300 million stadium for a college football team with every locker had an Xbox in it, Howie. <laughs> every locker had a TV wow. and an Xbox so the guys wow. could sit there and play. And so the wow. scale over there is it's just unless you've been and you've seen it, and we're starting to get exposed to it a little yes. bit more here through social media and all that sort of stuff, unless you've been and you've seen it, it is, I, I think college football is just about the best live sporting experience you can have. Wow. Yep. With the crowd. With the, the crowd and the, all, all the peripheral stuff. The yep. game, clearly I think footy is the best game in the world. Yep. Outside of the game, the experience, college football is hard to beat. So how many people go to watch your local college play? 50. Wow. Yeah. That's extraordinary. And that's a small school. Those big ones, you know, the big, you know, 100,000 is there, something else. Back to Nick in a moment. For those that like AFL, we have been very fortunate to feature various footy players on the podcast. Brendan Favola, Big Fevalenko back on episode three, Jason McCartney in the moment doco series on episode 50, Hawthorne champion Cyril Rioli on episode 56, Benny Graham, episode 67, Nathan Buckley, episode 70, Nat Fife, episode 97, Nick Natanui, episode 120, Magic Door, episode 133. That'll keep you going. But way back on episode 32, dual Brownlow medalist and a man as equally as driven as Nick, the Judd man, Chris Judd. When I was, this year, when I was 10 or 11, the old man who did quite a lot of athletics at school and, and was a pretty good middle distance runner said, well, do you want to have a crack at actually training for it? Because I'd never trained for it. And a lot of these kids were already training, you know, properly. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So we trained every night for a month, um which is too much. It's not really how you should train as a kid. Um, 
And we'd do either every day. Sometimes it'd be early in the morning before school. Sometimes it'd be at night at the Aths track. And we trained every day for a month, had a couple of days off and then ran the States. And in, in that time frame, I improved my time by 12 seconds, which is a huge amount in a month. <laughs> my word you know? is. And, uh, and won the States, won the state championships. Um, so just at a, such a young age to get reinforcement that if you do the work and you plan for something, the benefits will come, uh, was really useful. It was interesting in that state state final, the, the favourite who was meant to win fell over sort of during the race. Um, I, I wonder if the lesson would have stayed as strong if he had have ended up winning the race like he probably should have if he stayed on his feet. Um, you didn't do a sort of, was it Clark and Landon? <laughs> you, you didn't stop and Not a chance. help him up, Not Juddy? A chance, no. Right, just, just spiked him as just you Just gave past. him a little cupcake as I, as I, as I ran past. <laughs> That's Juddy on episode 32 of the show. Back to Rui. Mate, I read... Your book, obviously, and a big part of your book is your sister, Maddie, mm. and there's no easy way to tiptoe through it. You, you've written on your back of your book here, I hope there's something in these pages for everyone who's known grief, especially anyone who's less, lost a sibling. Your sister, Maddie, passed from aplastic anemia. You know, you're right in there in a lot of detail about what she went through, you know, nearly sort of 300 days in ICU Etc. So when you've said, I hope there's something in these pages for everyone who's known grief, you're too young at your age to have learned about grief, but unfortunately you have. What, what did you learn about it through the whole process? Mm. Um, gosh. <sighs> what, do you, what do you learn? Like, I think the way I reconciled it at the end of the day is you grieve so hard because you love so hard and it's, it's almost a byproduct of having loved someone so much that it's inevitable somewhere along the line that someone you love, you're going to lose. Mm. So it's almost, it's almost a byproduct of what, what, and I had this conversation with Kath recently and she, she moved out here in, in 2010 and Maddie was diagnosed a few months later. So they became, they, well, when Kath first moved here, Maddie was really the only person that she knew um, outside of myself and my family and stuff, obviously. So they, they had a really close relationship. And so that's, so Kath's seen me go through all of that and then have to live it publicly and has been just the most incredible support through it all. And we had this conversation the other day where, sort of having, having gone through it like we did and it was, it was all very private and she could see what it did to me and what it did to my family. But very, very quickly afterwards, it was, we flicked into the not-for-profit mode <clears throat> and it's been incredible. It's been the most, it's been, the, to be able to channel your grief and, and, bring some good out of that situation has been something that a lot of people don't have that opportunity. But from a personal point of view, and I, I really sort of, again, had this conversation the other day, it, it's, it's almost now hard to, hard to talk about it and let the emotion of it wash over me because I've spent, so, I've spent the last seven, seven years, spent the last seven years talking about it from a, a story point of view. 
and a business point of view and a not-for-profit point of view. Fundraising. Fundraising point of view. And I feel like at times it's almost meant I've become a little bit detached from it emotionally. So I don't have that many times when I really allow it to hit me hard. And I think that's a bit of a defense mechanism mm. probably, but when it does, it it floors me, absolutely floors me um, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a traumatic thing to, to witness someone's demise slowly. And that's, that's what it was. So it's a lot of, you know, it was, it was five years of illness and then, you know, 300 days or whatever it was in, in ICU of which she was the sickest person in there that entire time. And it was every day just going in there and walking in and hoping, 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 hoping. And so we had hope all the way through, right. And right until the very end. And it, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that was, so people say, oh, it gets, people say, you hear people say that it gets easier with time. Does it or not? I think it's the opposite. Is it? I think it's the opposite because for me, it's the, it's longer since I've had a conversation. It's longer since I've seen Maddie mm. and it's now the experiences that you're missing out on. So every time, every time I call a babysitter, mm. it makes it like, and we have a bit of fun with it because it's, you have to, right? Because everything, everything can't be heavy and sad, particularly when I'm, and I'm really conscious of this when I'm talking about it around the kids is I, I try to make everything light and fun and when I talk about Maddie because that's how I want the boys to think about it. Um, but every time I, and we have fun with this, every time I call a babysitter, it's like, this is just the gracious waste of money of all time. My sister mm. should be doing this for nothing. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> so, you know, you can have moments of, of levity, um, but in the end it's, it's just, there's just no rhyme or reason and it's not fair and it's pretty hard to reconcile, but yeah, the body's a pretty amazing thing, um, how it protects itself. Like I, I quite often think, how did I get home from the hospital? So after she passed away, how did I jump in the car and physically drive a car home? Mm. How, how do you do that? But we did, like we all did. Mum and dad did and my brother did and I did and Kath did and Kath had James in the car because she brought James in. James was a baby. James was only two months old. So that was that was one of the real challenges was my life changed so dramatically throughout that period. I became a father and then two, two months later um, lost my sister. Um, but the body, just the way the body protects itself and doesn't let you fully comprehend that in answer to your original question, which has been a long-winded answer, I know, but that is the thing that I think I've taken away more than anything is just how much your subconscious takes over in in providing whatever it is that you need, whether it's a layer of protection or, yeah, and, and you don't really have too much control over it. How did you play football? Oh, Yeah. Is it, is it was a, a challenge. It was a challenge. Along similar lines, what we're talking about, that you, your yeah, mind. Yeah, I think so. It was a challenge. So that happened in f- late February, and I took a couple of weeks and was I suited up round one, um, and yeah, 
I don't know. I actually look back and I don't really know how. Um, but I, I, th- I think there was comfort in knowing that, you know, the football club was a, a family. So the, the club wrapped their arms around me and, and that was great. The whole football, in fact, the whole community did. The, the did. The point. AFL community did. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, I had some, I had some issues through that period that, you know, only a couple of people sort of knew about that I was wrestling with post losing Maddie and, and footy clubs are great like that. You know, you've got, you, I had people there, the, the docs that had known me since I was an 18 year old kid and were, were close to the situation and Joey and a, a lot of the boys had been in to see Maddie in hospital. So they were, they were all close enough to the situation to know how it was, how it was going to impact. Uh, probably, probably the, the, the biggest moment probably came, I think it was six weeks into the season. I had a, I had a bad, I had a bad concussion against Adelaide where I think it was first quarter. So I was out before I hit the ground. I went to tackle Brody Smith. Tackling was never my, <laughs> never, was, never really known for my tackling prowess, Howie. Um, and so I went to tackle him and just got flushed and was, was, I was like a tree. Against the Saints, Henderson, Cameron, terrific look away. Quickly it ends up with Brody Smith from Thompson. Oh, Revolts oh, down. Oh, dear me. Gee, that's oh, incredible no. courage from both players and both of them. They're going to stop the game here. And so they should. Just watch this. He's sort of got in cold in terms of coming into tackle, but then they've just connected head. He's already out before he hits the ground. You can see there. Well, this is where it's tough, isn't it? Catherine Revolts watching at home. Young child at foot, recent father, and well, it's terrible to see at any level, but you are reminded of what... What's well, a dangerous game, dangerous, it? it is a dangerous game. Dangerous positions these guys put themselves into almost every single play. So I just, I was out before I hit the ground, and I I was out for a while, and I remember in the ambulance coming to, and I had just this overwhelming feeling that something bad had happened, and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. Oh. So I just started working through with the docs and the physios that were in the ambulance with me, is like, is Kath okay? My brother okay? Is my dad okay? Is Maddie okay? And everyone's like, I could feel them looking at me. Um, and it's funny, it's not funny, it's interesting to look back on. I could feel them looking at me like he's he's got no idea. And so I, I really had to be broken the news again that Maddie had died Jeez. a few months earlier because um, <sighs> of this concussion. So that was that was the moment where... Um, things sort of spiraled a little bit for me because I, you know, been, everything had been quite public, and I probably hadn't had an opportunity to to sort of do do much of that personal grieving. But yeah, it's 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 just a process, mate. It's um, it's hard like it's hard with your parents because you, you know, you lose you lose a sibling, but at the same time, you probably lose your parents as well because they're not the same. I can't. That's the bit I can't. Yeah, get my head round. Yeah, losing a child. I don't know for every. Parent, that's their first thought when they're listening yeah. to this. They're going to be, yeah, yeah. "God, what about his parents?" Yeah, yeah. Um, you talked about the fact that it became very public through Maddie's vision. How much money have you raised to this point? So I've raised a ticket, and this was always Maddie's want: was when she got better, she wanted to be an advocate for the cause because she used to drive her crazy that it was so under resourced and yep. people didn't really understand much about it. So clearly, she. Didn't have that opportunity, so we started Maddie's Vision. We've raised a bit over ten million, uh, which is phenomenal. When we first started out seven years ago, well, there's no way we uh, seven yes 
bit over seven, a bit under seven years ago. But there's no way we thought we would have achieved that. So uh, made a tangible difference. It's quite amazing if you to think about it. people's lives. It is. It is amazing. Met some incredible people. You know, there is there is so much generosity out there. That's that's what's blown us away. Um, and made made a made a significant difference through a lot of the research that's been done and, and the projects that have been, or the or some of the infrastructure that's been put in place to to alter people's lives. So, yeah, in terms of in terms of legacy, it's it's clearly a massive price to pay. But Maddie's Maddie's legacy is a, a, a pretty strong one. Let's move past that. I didn't expect to see you on a cooking show. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Master Chef. I'm Nick Rebold. Look out! Oh, Rebold! Remarkable! I played in the AFL for 17 years for the St Kilda Saints. I was captain for 11 of those years and played 336 games. I love cooking with my kids because you can build experiences around food and the opportunity to grow and to learn and to be a part of a show that I've been a fan of for a really long time. I'm super pumped about that. Which you went and won. Mm. Uh, my wife was, Erica was telling me this morning, she said, your man Nick was incredible on that show because when everybody got under the pump, he just didn't seem to feel the pressure. She felt that's why he won. <laughs> I said, but surely he's a good cook. She said, no, well, I just don't think he felt the pressure. I'm going to serve the judges dippy eggs. But, you know, there's a bit of a twist. It's, it's a savoury dish turned sweet. Uh, have you always been a cook? We started off with books. Now we're on to cooking. Like, where did you learn to cook to go and we'll, win MasterChef? We'll Master go Chef? to cookbooks next. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> was it Margaret Fulton? She's the queen of that sort of caper, isn't it? Who's oh, that? Margaret Fulton. She, she's she? the old school sort of woman's weekly. Oh, okay. You know, gotcha. You know, yeah. Um, Mate, it was, was one of the great experiences. Was it? It really was. was oh, I So didn't feel the pressure. Three days before filming Howie, I tried to get out of it. Did you? Yeah. Nerves. Tried to pull the pin. Tried to pull the pin three days out. <laughs> how, I does got one, told, how does one go about pulling well, the pin? I just called Carly and Miranda and who look, looks after your manager yeah, and, and says, I'm said, out. Carly, I'm out. She goes, no, you're not. You can't do this. You're three days out from filming. I said, well, I can't. Like, I'm, I'm going to embarrass me. So it was the same thing, mate. Right, it was the same right. thing as the footy. The fear of failure or just not living up had me in knots. But no one's expecting you to go in there I and know. do anything except cook a I dodgy know. lamb chop. Like, I know. There's no expectation at this point. I know. Wow. But that's that's what I was thinking. But mate, it was, it was it was one of the great experiences I've had. And I'd, I was always a fan of MasterChef. I've always loved so the the Tassie Link and yep. good produce. I've always loved that, and I'm confident cooking with anything out of the ocean because hunter gatherer down there. I love that experience with the boys. Go out, you catch it. You clean it, you cook it, you eat it together. That whole, you know, full turnkey experience is great. Um, and so that was that was sort of what I felt like I was armed with going in. And but what made it so good was it's the production and the crew and the family, just the whole the whole setup of MasterChef is pretty special. And then the cast that I was I was on with within thirty minutes, I just knew this this is going to be something you're going to want to be in as long as you possibly can huh. because it's going to be a lot of fun and oh. and it was it was it was stressful for a, a group of people that consisted of actors, 
comedians, fashion designers, yeah, swim like Ian Thorpe has stood on the blocks with the greatest athletes in the world. Peter Van den Hoogen Band. Yeah, the Van den Hoogen Band. And stared them down and said, I'm going to crush you, and he has done it. So for him to look like he was going to lop his wrist off, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves style, in the first elimination cook because he was so nervous, was one was a sight to behold. And that's what it did to us. It, it just turned every because everyone cared so much about what they were putting on the plate. No one wanted to go home. No one wanted to be eliminated. It was, and cooking against the, the big clock, yeah. it's like a Dr. Seuss clock. Yeah. It <laughs> operates on fast forward time. Like it's not real time, I swear to you. What was your winning dish? What'd you go with the win well, the whole thing? The, the, finale, the finale was good because it suited me as opposed to, I think, suiting. So Colette Dinigan, fashion designer, Blair, artistic, creative. Tilly Ramsey, Gordon's daughter, you know, pedigree. And myself, the footballer, you know, methodical, can just dial in and be coached. <laughs> yeah. it was, we had to follow a recipe. Ah. So for me, it was perfect. So it was an 80-step recipe. Cooking? Yeah, what? cooking a dessert, which looked more like a piece of art. But dessert is... Science. If you're cooking dessert, it's basically science. It's all about quantities and method. <laughs> Structures and processes. It's all it is, Howie. <laughs> it's dessert, the game plan. Just fo- it's in there. It's in the book. <laughs> just follow it. So I could. it was perfect for me because there, there was nothing creative about it and I could just dial in. Okay, I need point, and, and micro scale, so, you know, 0.03 of a gram of um, blue shimmer powder, you know, so it was, was very fiddly and, and this dessert was, it looked like a piece of art. It was a six layer, but each layer was only half a mil thick. So it was, it was really time consuming four hours. The cook was, so it was a game of footy. So I just broke it down into quarters. (laughs) I got through the steps and, and I put up something decent on the plate and it was, it was great because when, when I, I was in the finale with the, the two incredible women, Tilly and Colette, I thought, oh, this, yeah, bronze, bronze is all right. <laughs> you know, bronze is not bad. I know, I know Hacky said they were a disgrace. <laughs> they were disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. They were. <laughs> yeah, I know he said they were disgusting, but I'm happy with bronze. Um, and that was it, mate. And so pulled it out and it looked all right, tasted pretty good. And you won. And, and I won. I've been a part of teams for a long time. And this is one of the great teams I've, I've, I've felt privileged to be a part of. So I guess this is my fourth grand final. Um, <laughs> my uh, trophy cabinet's pretty bare, so there is room for a MasterChef trophy at home, as sad as that is to say. I enjoyed your dish as much as my own. Ten out of ten. I, we, we need to finish this soon because I'm taking up way too much of your time. We are working together on a new show at the moment called Best on Ground on Fox Footy. So when we're recording this, we are two episodes in. Something that I took a tremendous amount of joy and motivation from after the first episode, which we got to air, and I've had this experience before, it, it, it's helter-skelter and you come away and think, gee, there's a lot of stuff we could do different. So we sat there for an hour and a half with yourself, 
with John O'Brown, with Nathan Buckley, with Kath Lochnan, with the boss Steve Crawley, Ben Roberts, our producer, um, Max and Luke, a couple of the guys working on the show. And I had never seen a group of people analyse a television show to an inch of its life that happened that night. And I loved it because I just saw you three especially, and Kath's a highly motivated professional individual, but the analysis that you, Jono and Nathan brought to it and the want to improve, it gave me an insight into what makes people elite. Like we had, we had an emotional up and down at yeah. times, you know, you were like, oh, you know, we just got to move on with it. It was okay. And, but then Bucks would say this and it, I just found it a fascinating insight into an honest conversation yeah. about how you can get better as a group, which is what we were in yeah. that particular point. I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. I went home and said to my wife, wow, the people involved are invested to make it better. It's a good feeling when you, when you find that team environment. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, that, that's when... That's when good things happen. Right. When I feel like everyone's invested in in finding a, a positive result. And I think what sport, particularly footy, and, and it's changed a little bit now, it's probably less so like this, was the ability to sit in a circle and deliver feedback and know it's not personal yep. is something that I think is unique to sport. Yes. Particularly team sport. Yes. And that, it, it, that's what it felt like. It did. So we've, I've sat in some circles and given out and received some pretty brutal feedback over the journey. And when I said it's changed, it's, it's, more, of a, it's more of a teaching environment now. Uh, like I, the, the conversations that I would have had delivered to me or given 15 years ago wouldn't, wouldn't I don't think, occur in the same way anymore. What's the most brutal thing someone's ever said to you? Don't name who it was, but tell me something that's hit you between the eyes in that, um, in that brutal leading team style environment. I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Oh, that you're more concerned with your own form rather than the team result. Right. And that's yeah. early in your career? Early in my career, which was fair. Yeah, when you're trying to establish yourself, yep. and I think that's something all young players go through yep. when you're trying to establish yourself. And when um, it's said to you like that, how yeah. do you not get the hump? Uh, yeah, you do. You do, but it's it's facilitated in a way that th- there's a, the reason for this is because we want you to be better. Okay. And so it's a, so as much as it stings and you want to go away and you want to say well, that you're wrong and it's you, 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 in a good situation, in a good team, you're never left by yourself after that. There'll be follow-up. The person that delivers it will follow up with you. That that's when you know you're a part of a good team. But when it's when it's just said, and then there's no accountability or care to actually f- see it through and work with you. Yep. That's when you get. That's when you within your rights to almost dismiss it. I think. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a good feel, and that, that's Fox Footy's soften the blow in that sense. After finishing playing the game and being a part of these little mini teams, whether it's a Friday night or Saturday night with, with Best on Ground and the new show, I love I love that feeling of being a part of a collective that is delivering something. Yep. Which is what which is what we're doing. Last question I have for you before the final one: How do you deal with negativity from the external world? So when you're written about in the paper, yep. or like our show will be bashed on social media because it's new. Yep. That's the way the world works. You know, you, you wrote various times in your book where it was in your face, where blokes would drive past in their car and say, yep. "You know, Rewalt, you're no good. You're a clown. Yep. Whatever." How, how have you learnt to deal with negativity? Because often I get to this point, Rui, and I say. The one thing I'm not sure about Australia is we've become a very negative place where it's 
I felt when I was growing up, it was have a crack. And people would say, oh, well, he had a crack. Whereas now if you have a yeah. crack, people say, oh, that was bloody terrible. And I always find when I watch America and American sports, yeah. they laud people that have yeah. a crack. So you've got a foot in both camps here. Yeah. So how, how have you dealt with it when, no, nah, it's no good. Yeah, no so good. Catherine says the same thing, that she doesn't understand the negativity here. No, I don't yeah, understand. She don't, she doesn't, but it's she doesn't a new thing. It. Yeah. It's a new-ish yeah. thing. Um, how do I, yeah, like I, I don't think I dealt with it well, like for long periods when I was playing. Um, very sensitive, very precious to that sort of negative feedback, which I think I think is probably natural. You, you, know, you, you if you don't agree with it and you want to prove people wrong and all, all all of that sort of stuff. Now it's now it's a bit more water off a duck's back, really, um, because I think a bit more aware that there there are there are so many opinions now that. If you try to listen to all of them, then you you just drive yourself insane. I had some good feedback the other day riding my bike, and I'm like, "Give me the give me the horn," and <laughs> I'm pulled up, yeah, pulled up beside me, and then he and then he sort of ran down the window and realised, and and then he launched on me for my football career. <laughs> so first it was the fact that I was taking up too much room on my bike, and then he just launched into you were no good as a footy player. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, not not too bad anymore, and really like it's. The, the 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 criticism that 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 comes is, um, I mean it's it's, it's very rarely delivered face to face. No, anymore it doesn't have to be these. Yeah, days. that's the, so that's the thing. So it's, it's that's that's probably how I filter it. If my if the feedback that I'm getting on anything is is face to face, then it's it clearly carries a lot more weight, and it's it's clearly from someone I've got. The, a relationship with to be able to deliver and, and for me to actually care about that feedback. But um, I'm pretty confident in, in you know, the, the, person that I, the, the person that I am and the direction that I, I want to I go with my life and, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that we're all sort of going to start to make that bit of a shift back the other way. Sure, I hope so, mate. What do you think? Uh, I, I don't know what's happened. I don't know. Like I said, I grew up and it was like... Is it social media? You put it down to social media? <sighs> social media, social columnists. Um, like if you have a look at, you know, a couple of days ago, the leader of the opposition started the election campaign and he made a couple of mistakes. And it's just, it's a pylon. Yeah. I don't get the pylon when yeah. someone does something wrong in the public space. We've seen it a thousand times. Yeah. Um, I the, don't understand the pylon and the, the, the using of random people's social media comments yeah. to form the basis of yeah, an article that I don't is understand. the one. That's the one. That, that's yeah. the real seedy yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, Twitter 543 yeah. said that Mark yeah. Howard's new such and such yeah. was outrageously poor. Um, Funny thing is, we're, we're almost a part of the same hypocrisy in a way. Yeah, we you know? are. Like we're. A lot of the, when, I ever, when I see a few of the boys, they, they always ask me, what's life like on the dark side? Yeah. But there's two different ways you can approach media. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can be negative or positive, but I, I understand someone in your role that has to be constructive. Yeah. Criticism. It's a slippery slope. So w within sort of the first 12 months, I thought, gee, don't forget how hard this game is to play sometimes. Yeah. It can be very <laughs> like, – that's specific to footy, obviously. Remember Luke Darcy said to me once, he, he thought, you've got one year out of the game yeah. where you don't have to give an opinion. Yeah. And then as an expert, you have to give an opinion. Yeah. But I think you forget how hard it is at times. Yeah. And, and the, the ability to actually put yourself in the player's shoes 
gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Yeah. So that's that's something that I'm constantly trying to remind myself of in, in an industry where we're, where we're just look always looking for what's wrong. Why is this an issue? Why isn't that team the playing well? What's wrong with that guy? It's it, it's it's important to remember that you were out there and and all of the things that I spoke about in terms of the performance anxiety and all the things you go through and yeah, it might be exactly the same. Maybe that's maybe that's a reason. Yep. Maybe that's a contributing factor. So final question. And the most important question in the whole podcast. For those youngsters that are listening, of which we have many, which is cool, really, really cool. My favorite thing about the podcast is parents listen to this with their kids. And they're listening to Nick Rewalt and they're like, right, this bloke's achieved a lot in his life and they want to achieve a lot in their young lives. What are you leaving them with? And as a father, all of a sudden that sigh was like, wow, that's Mm. a... Serious question. That's yeah. not just a throwaway line, do your best. Well, I think I think about it from my kids' points of view. Yep. And for for me, I, I don't if I if I want my kids to be anything, uh, I want them to be kind and I want them to be happy in mm. in what they do. So it was it would be very simply to do do something that makes you happy, not because of reasons X, Y, and Z because you think it'll make you happy or the destination that you arrive at, if you're good at that, will give you a life that you think will make you happy. You've got to find something that gives you a sense of purpose because purpose and enjoyment. And, and, they, and they can be mutually exclusive because, you know, I didn't enjoy everything about footy, but it gave me a real sense of purpose. Um, so it would probably, it'd probably be that, mate. Um, I know that's pretty broad, but no, it's a great answer. Yeah, because I mean, it, it can be it can be hard to find, and that was probably my greatest fear in finishing doing something that I'd done for as long as I can remember was what what will my sense of purpose be? Um, you know, I've got a family, obviously, like that's that's at the that's at the core of everything. Um, my wife and three boys, but um, the that 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 individual drive to to do and to be is 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 you know is, is obviously really important and for that to be something that that fulfills you we don't get a chance to reflect typically in the modern world what's it been like to sit back and look back over the last sort of probably 25 30 years of your life and enjoy through this experience? experience yeah 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 it has well, I think I think what 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 I've enjoyed about it is a lot of the time you 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 roll through, you skip through, and you think you know you think you know how you feel about certain things, mm. but it's not until you're asked about them directly in in a forum such as this that you're really forced to think. Oh yeah, I haven't spoken about that in a while. Hasn't, and a couple of things. My my opinion my opinion's probably changed. changed. Yeah, and that comes with you know maturing. Howie. Well, you've done exceptionally well. I'm 40, 40 this year. Oh, well, 40, but that's not too old to have a cricket ball strung up in an oak tree. And when you get home tonight, just (laughs) play a couple of cover drives. Yeah, guess what I'll be using? Gilly's bat. Gilly's bat. (laughs) (laughs) I stole that just like you stole this book. (laughs) No, I didn't. I I book swapped it. I book swapped it, mate. You're a star. Thanks for joining me on the Howie Games. It was an absolute privilege. Appreciate it. Well done. 
There is a man of many, many talents. If you're a Saints fan, you already love Nick. If you're not, hopefully you feel some extra love for Nick now that you've got to know him a little better. He is an absolute dude. It was a lot of fun to chat with him. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you got some good book recommendations in there as well. Until next Thursday with tennis ace Tanasi Kokonakis. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener